The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are so many things we could talk about just from these seven verses that we just read. But I want to, for today, focus on the first half of the reading, and particularly this, which I've already mentioned in the children's sermon. God wants you here. Really, truthfully, if you don't remember anything else from today, please remember that you are welcome here, and God wants you here. For those of us who might have to move around a little bit more and find a new home, home congregation more often, that's actually also a really great way to evaluate a congregation. Do they show me that God and they truly want me here. But how did we even get here? For context, the Gospel of Matthew has 28 chapters. 25 of those talk specifically about Jesus' active work and ministry. The first three chapters are his very long genealogy, his birth, and then his parents' flight to Egypt, and the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, his cousin. So in chapter 16, we're about halfway into the gospel and into Jesus' life. And the commonly accepted estimate is that he was active for three years. So being halfway into the gospel means that he's been going for about a year and a half. Generally, in the gospels, that halfway point marks a change of direction. 
rather than kind of crisscrossing the landscape with no, seemingly no destination, healing people and teaching and discussing and doing miracles, now Jesus turns and his destination is Jerusalem and his death. Jesus knows where he's going. He knows why he's going there and he knows what will happen when he gets there. But the disciples very clearly do not get it. And I think once we know kind of what to look for, it's very easy to understand why they don't get it. All of Jesus' disciples, regardless of what social group or social strata they came from, they grew up living under an ever-present military. The Roman occupation was everywhere, and it was oppressive everywhere. And there were prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures about a coming Messiah that spoke about a king who would come to liberate his people, to wage war on and defeat the oppressors and establish a peaceful kingdom. All of that is military rhetoric. And so just about everyone expected this Messiah to be an immensely powerful military leader. So when Jesus tells his students that he's going to suffer and die before coming back to life, that wouldn't have computed for the disciples. What do you mean you're going to die? We have swords waiting at home to fall into formation behind you once you overthrow the current world order. And Peter literally pulls Jesus aside and says out loud what I think the other disciples were probably thinking. No, this can't happen. We know that you are the Messiah. You're supposed to lead us into battle, not die. Snap out of it and stop scaring us with this nonsense. And oh boy, does Jesus get mad. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Remember that in the previous chapter, Jesus called Peter the rock on which he would build his church. And now, Peter is nothing more than a stumbling block, a piece of rock that people trip over on the way to their destination. Imagine how Peter must have felt. Maybe it felt like a slap in the face. Maybe he had to blink a few times because he was so dumbfounded. Maybe he felt so hurt that he cried. Maybe he was angry and kind of stomped off, fuming. Maybe he was embarrassed, so embarrassed that his face flushed red and he kind of shrunk back into the crowd of disciples trying to make himself as invisible as possible. Regardless of his reaction, I think being called the devil by Jesus was not an everyday occurrence. So we know that Peter's mistake is bad. But there's a big and in Peter's story. Yes, he's a stumbling block for Jesus today. And last week, he was a rock solid enough to build the entire church on. Yes, Peter will deny Jesus three times, 
when he's being prosecuted, and he will also be one of the most prolific disciples after the resurrection, and is even said to have been the first pope of Rome, the bishop of bishops, descending directly from Jesus. Peter is famous, or maybe infamous, for making some of the gravest mistakes of any of the disciples, maybe with the exception of Judas Iscariot. And yet, and yet he's still a part of Jesus' closest friends and followers, and is even one of the most important leaders in the early Christian community. In our verses that we read today, quite possibly emboldened by this praise that he got from Jesus a few verses before, Jesus, uh, Peter entirely oversteps his position. He tries to tell God incarnate what to do. And Jesus has to be stern, to say the least, to redirect Peter. But despite knowing all of Peter's faults, including that he would break his word and leave Jesus to suffer alone, Jesus does not kick Peter out. And that is gospel. That is good news for us. We end up leaving so many groups and organizations and sometimes even our own families because we've made mistakes, whether perceived or actual, or we're too different. But we never have to leave God, and God will never leave us. We might be on the wrong path sometimes and need to be corrected, but Jesus will always welcome us. Now, I think we Lutherans have a tiny bit of a, of a difficult task here in that we have to make sure that we don't avoid accountability by trying to insist on our clean slate every day. That's a whole different theological and social conversation, I think. But God knows that we're only human. We will make mistakes. We will feel painful emotions like anger or grief. And we will have conflict with each other. And because God knows that, Jesus came into this world, into our world, to experience what it's like to be human and to offer direct and uninterrupted compassion and forgiveness to all of us, to Peter, to Judas, and to us. And I think there's actually a pretty easy way to take accountability and revel in God's love for us at the same time. And that is to take Jesus' command from our reading today, Jesus' command to Peter, as a command for ourselves. I mean here less the Satan part and more the get behind me aspect of it. Because according to one of the commentaries on this text, someone who knows a lot more Greek than I do, a tiny little bit of Greek, um, the words, the Greek words that Matthew used to tell people to get behind Jesus imply that Peter is not to be sent away, but that Peter should return to his rightful place as a disciple of Jesus, following rather than trying to lead Jesus. 
if we took that command to heart, to get behind Jesus, to follow Jesus, how might that change our posture in this community, in our families, and in all the other communities that we're a part of in our lives? Here's what I think. You will probably have more ideas, but this is kind of what came to me. It will make us more compassionate and less judgmental. If we put ourselves in Jesus' position, we will feel empowered to criticize and to correct others, possibly even harshly. But if we put ourselves in Peter's position, we recognize that we're not any better than any of the other disciples. We recognize that we, too, make mistakes that Jesus corrects us for. And we recognize that despite our mistakes, we're still invited to follow Jesus. Just like everyone else in this room and everyone else in the whole world. We recognize that despite all the times where we might be a stumbling block, we are also one of the many, many building blocks of the house and the kingdom of God. So again, if you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. Jesus compared himself to a mother hen, and mother hens might sometimes cluck at their chicks for getting out of line. But a hen will never abandon her chicks. Jesus will always welcome you and invite you to follow him. Jesus, God incarnate in this world, wants us here wants us to be his followers wherever we are, and will never abandon us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved. <laughs>